Uh, we're about halfway through our series on Colossians. Um, we, it's a six-week series. We're in week four. And so far, we've covered a pretty good amount in the book of Colossians. Let me give you just a quick rundown, like a quick reminder of where we've been. Um, Colossians is a letter. It was written to the believers in Colossae with this intention of moving those new believers in that place from a place of um, having heard and accepted the good news to a place where they were living out that good news in really tangible ways. And in order to help the Colossians make this move from hearing to doing, the letter covers these two main themes. It starts out by discussing good theology, how we think about how we should think about who God is, and then it finishes up with discussing good praxis, how we should act given who God is. And the theology that we find in Colossians is really considered to be, by many scholars, some of the most articulate and most succinct summations of Christian belief that we find in Scripture. Because put short, all that they're saying in Colossians is the affirmation and the reaffirmation that Jesus is the center of all of our belief, that Jesus is the center of all of our faith, and so that Jesus must also be the center from which we act as well. Now, because Jesus is called to be the center for all our faith and for all our reasoning, for all our actions, we see this letter to the Colossians emphasize over and over again that the life of Jesus was disruptive to the world around, that the life of Jesus was disruptive and that it continues to disrupt the status quo of the societies that we live in. Following Jesus requires believers to stand in the face of the status quo. It required the believers in Colossae to stand in the face of the status quo for Colossian society. And following Jesus has required believers to be standing in the face of the status quo of every single society ever since, including us as believers in our American society today. God's disrupting of this status quo, Colossians says, God's disrupting of the status quo happens has happened from the beginning and happens into perpetuity. And it happens because the God that we follow cannot help but create and recreate and recreate again. Colossians reaffirms that our God is a living God, not some static idol that was made a certain way and stays that same way. And so that constant ongoing act of creation and recreation prevents the maintenance of any one practice, of any one ritual, or of any one traditional or norm. So that's something that we have read in Colossians so far, but also we're going to see this theme in a really big way in our scripture passage for today. So um, I invite you to, if you brought your Bible, open your Bible to Colossians 2. Um, If you didn't bring your Bible, I invite you to flip over that order of worship that you have. Just keep it in front of you. Like I said, Colossians is a really wordy letter. Um, It can have a lot of run-on sentences. There's a lot of really dense language in it. It's good, but it's easier to read than it is to hear. So just keep it with you so that we can refer back to it from time to time. This is Colossians 2, verses 16. Therefore. 
Do not let anyone judge you by the way you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such people also go into great detail about what they have seen, and their unspiritual minds puff them up with idle notions. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Who is that head? Yeah, Jesus. That was good. Hey, um, I know that it's February, but remember when I talked to you, you talked to me, right? Right? Thank you. <laughs> Gary is paying attention, right? Everyone, we're all in this together. Say yes. Are you awake? Say yes. Good. You're good liars. Okay, here we go. That was a joke. You're not liars. Let's carry on. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What he's trying to say is highlight those practices that people had back then that said that you you had certain restrictions on diet, or in particular in this time, um, dualism, was a really, really popular belief, this idea that if one thing was good, another thing had to be bad. So because the spirit is good, then the body is bad, right? So there's this practice that started to emerge where you would punish the body as a way of enhancing the spirit. Um, So he's talking about very specific practices in here. However, I think that we can probably, if we put our mind to it, think about ways that that translates into our modern society today. So as we head off to do that, why don't we um, pray? God, as we come to your scripture and as we ask for the wisdom of your spirit, we pray that you will silence all of the busyness and anxiety that we have that presses upon us. We pray that you will silence the distractions, that just for a little while we might be unleashed from the world and held entirely in your arms. We pray, Lord, that we will hear your truth in ways that speak to us. And we are not perfect. We don't always speak Rightly, we don't always hear well, but we do ask that you will take our weaknesses and show us your miraculous, your miraculousness in them. We pray the same prayer as Joan of Arc. God, if we are in your truth, keep us there. And if we are not God, then put us there. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so... What's going on in our scripture passage for today? More or less, Paul, or the writer of Colossians, is warning the people of faith against legalism. In specific, Paul is warning the Colossians to not allow themselves to be bullied into a certain method of practice out of the belief that a particular practice will make them more holy or will make their faith more pure and more acceptable to God. 
So things like that, like following a certain diet, abstaining from certain foods or drinks, celebrating particular holidays in a particular way, or really following any particular tradition of sort, things like that are what Paul calls shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Paul goes on in talking about these things that we hold as valuable and important. Paul goes on to put down those people who believe that true faithfulness is only found in experiencing visions or is only found in very specific practices, maybe like speaking in tongues, or is only found in any one place. Paul is putting those people down. He says such people are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. It says that those people have lost connection with Jesus and so no longer are growing and nurtured as people of faith. Those are some pretty harsh words. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And that's when you come to such a strong conclusion, we as readers today have to think, gosh, we don't really want to be there, right? Certainly no one wants to be in that place where they're all puffed up and they're lopped off from the body of Christ. So certainly with consequences being this dire, we have made and will make it our top priority to make sure that we do not get caught up in traditions that stick us in the past, that we will make our top priority to not get puffed up with the idea that our way is the only right and best and holy way, right? We will never do that, will we? The problem is that we as humans love to create routines. And we love to find comfort in following the status quo. And we especially find comfort in routines and traditions and status quo when we are able to convince ourselves that the routine that we have created or found is by far the best one. I am regularly in conversations with people who try to convince me that their ritual or their practice or their discipline if I do it, will change my life. You ever have conversations with people like that? For example, any of you ever meet a vegan? <laughs> hey, I love vegan food. I'm not slamming vegans. Anyone ever meet someone who uh, follows the paleo diet? Anyone ever hear about the keto diet? How many of you have ever met someone who does CrossFit? Yeah. Anybody else ever meet someone who goes on yoga, yoga retreats to Mexico? Those people are my favorite. We as humans love to find a particular way and then declare it to be the best way. And then it makes us feel even better. We're reaffirmed in that if we're able to pressure people into agreeing with us and then following that same way. This is even more true when we start to talk about religious people. I follow a Twitter handle called IFB Preachers, which sounds really nerdy, and it is. Uh, it shows actual clips from sermons that are given by independent fundamentalist Baptist preachers on Sunday mornings, current day sermons. And one that I saw recently spent an entire sermon on how women should not wear pants. Lest the pants wearing causes the woman to forget that she is called to be subservient to her husband. And he goes very in specific, very specific scenarios about what to do with the pants situation. 
For example, what if she just wears pants in the home where no one is around, no one sees her? But he says, no, you cannot do that because if someone were to come by her home and she would be wearing pants, then she's wearing the pants in the home. That's the last place she should be wearing pants. He concludes, he concludes his sermon on how this was a moment of grace. He thought it was okay for infant girls to wear onesie sleepers, the kinds with the buttons on the snaps. But he does warn at the end, you better get her out of those before she comes to the realization that she is really wearing pants. In this preacher's mind, my friends, there was one right and best way to be a faithful Christian. And it does not include pants if you're a woman. And it's easy for us to laugh at things like this, right? That sounds so foreign to the way that many of us choose to live, case in point. But we are not innocent of it either, particularly in the Reformed Church. Many of you have seen a clerical collar, you know what I'm talking about, with a white tab. And it, we don't really wear them a lot out here in California, but the clerical collar, whenever I go to a, a formal situation where I need to be identified as a minister, that is my uniform, right? That's how people know. The clerical collar came into fashion for priests and pastors in the 1880s, 1880s. And it was just the latest trend of clergy fashion, because there was clergy fashion. Before that, the fashion was for clergy to wear black clothes and a white tie. That's how you could identify a pastor. And it was a modification of that that we got those tabs. Now, see, the problem is that that fashion hasn't changed since. Even though clergy fashion used to change like regular fashion, imagine if all of you were wearing clothes from the 1880s today. That guy about the pants would be so happy, right? What it means is that my official uniform requires me to echo something that was the height of fashion for men over 140 years ago in the name of it being the most holy fashion. Our motto in the Reformed Church is church reformed ever reforming. But we really have struggled to do that. The Christian church in general is really fond of declaring that there is one best and right and holy way. Maybe that way is hymns and organ music. Maybe it's liturgy and doxology. Maybe it's preaching without notes. Maybe it's singing with your hands in the air. Maybe it's authenticity and spontaneity instead of that what's written down and dictated and measured. We are all guilty of this, my friends. We love latching on to one method, one way, one tradition, and then preaching that as our gospel. But what Colossians is saying in our passage here today is that no one way is better than the way of Jesus. What Colossians is saying here is that Jesus is the only way. And if the one thing we have latched on to as gospel is in conflict with Jesus, then we need to prioritize Jesus. And we need to put down the thing that we are gripping onto so strongly. There's a commentator named Brian Walsh. He says this. He says, And so considering this text asks us to consider the idolatries that continue to have a deathly grip on our lives. Might we need to name something 
like the financial markets of the global economy as a shadow without substance? In light of our identity in Christ, <coughs> might it be time to relativize all patriotic nationalism as a human way of thinking? Do we have the courage to name the Pax Americana and notions of American exceptionalism as an empty and deceitful philosophy that has taken us captive? Many of you know that prior to um, my coming here to join the staff at SMCC, my family and I lived in West Texas for five years, and we loved it there. Um, great people. We were right on the border. Great food. West Texans are very warm, very hospitable. They also don't like to be told what to do. There's this rancher mentality that has persisted over the years, even as the ranches have started to go. There's this idea that everyone is a lone rancher. One of the more difficult things about serving the church in West Texas is that Jesus, guns, and Merca are inseparably intertwined. One couldn't be a good Christian there and speak openly against guns. And you certainly couldn't be a good Christian and vote Democrat. Friends, when we intertwine one way with Jesus and we make that the gateway to true faithfulness, then we've lost our way. Paul says in Colossians, these ways are only shadows of what was to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The message says this in verses 20 through 23. So then, if with Christ you've put all that pretentious and infantile religion behind you, all of these things that we hold on to and think as gospel, if in Christ we've put all of that behind us, then why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Do you think things that are here today and gone tomorrow are worth that kind of attention? They give the illusion of being pious and humble and ascetic, but they're just another way of showing off, of making yourselves look important. It can be very difficult for us to come to something and say, well, I know for sure this is how Jesus is, right? Because we all have an interpretation. That's where we get into these things anyway, where some people say, well, you can't drink and be a Christian. You can't dance and be a Christian. You can't wear pants and be a Christian. We have things that we say as being exclusive to our faith. But one of the things that this scripture passage and that the passage says, or that Bible says over and over throughout, is that there's absolutely nothing that can exclude you from being in God's grip. Not even a pair of trousers. Nothing can exclude you from being welcome at God's table. Yes, we want to move from just hearing the word to acting the word. Yes, that means that there are certain actions and behaviors that do go against what that new faith is. But those things are not things that we take lightly. They're not things that can be dictated in a simple little tradition or a simple pattern. Jesus is less concerned about what we do and more concerned about who we are. 
He's less concerned about whether we are drinking alcohol or wearing pants and more concerned about whether or not we are loving our neighbor. If we want to know who Jesus is, who Jesus is calling us to be, if we want to make sure that we are connected to the head and being nourished by the spirit of God, then we are called to put away the things that will disappear when our society dies and to instead prioritize the things that are important to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, as we come to your table, we pray that we will we pray that we will be reflective and perceptive about the things that we hang on to that are not essential to you. We pray, God, that if we are holding on to something that is not essential to you, that is not your priority, we pray, Lord, that we will put it down. We ask, God, that you will reveal to us the ways that we make these silent judgments, the ways that we exclude people from the Christian faith because they're too conservative, they're too liberal, because they're too wild, because they're not joyful enough. And we pray that instead we will prioritize only your spirit of creation and disruption that says that all of us are welcome into your arms, that all of us have a place, that all of us belong, and we belong first, not by anything that we've done, but only by what you do. So we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to come to the table in just a minute.